Hey guys, this is Megan. I tried to edit this episode the best that I could, but it turns out I really need a new microphone. There are a few areas where it gets a little mechanical at times, but this story was too good not to tell, so I decided to still put this episode out. Again, I apologize for any sound quality errors. I promise a new microphone is already on its way. Enjoy the episode. Middle of the Pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are the middle of the pack. Welcome back to Middle of the Pack podcast. My name is Maggie BATC. I am the OCR trainer, and I am here with a very special guest. I'm here with Matthew Ladwick. He is a, one of the partners for Basecamp Adventure, who runs the popular OCR Muddy Buffalo, we have actually talked about on the show before. They also host a series of trail races and ultra events up in the Buffalo area. Now, Matthew, I'm bringing you on today because you actually have a very special story. So you just ran Killington over the weekend. And from what I've heard, you have a very rich history with Killington. Do you want to go ahead and explain your past? I sure do. Absolutely. So Killington, as we all know, is quite the uh, Spartan race. I know a lot of people say that it's one of the hardest that's out there, obviously, because of all of the crazy mountains and the ascents that are out there. And, you know, I know that the completion rate for the ultra specifically is very low every single year. So for somebody like me kind of likes to have that challenge in front of them and, you know, try to get out there and see what they can do. So yeah, definitely rich history. So Killington was actually my first Spartan race ever. I had done a lot of tough mutters in the past thought they were fun, but they weren't really challenging and wanted something a little bit more. So my wife was like, hey, let's go do this Spartan Beast thing in Killington. All the pictures look really cool. looks like a great day. So that was, uh, I think, in like 2015. So, you know, we end up going out there, running it together. And uh, nine hours later, realized that, yeah, it's it's no joke. Killington's definitely the beast. <laughs> Wait, so you'd never ran a Spartan before in your life before Killington? No, that was the first one. That was, uh, that, that was popping my cherry for sure. That was pretty crazy out there. <laughs> Did you do any research beforehand? I knew about obstacle racing just from Tough Mudders. You know, the, the biggest thing was people said the obstacles don't have the glamour of all the fun. It's like, oh, you're going to have a sandbag carry and a bucket carry you know, there was still a lot of uh, grip intensive obstacles, which Tough Mudder does a lot of, which is really, really cool because I enjoy like the monkey bars, but no idea what we were walking into, you know, as we pulled in and saw the mountain in front of us, we, we thought we were absolutely insane at that point. So you really didn't know too much about Killington itself. You more so knew about Spartan racing. Pretty much. We thought we were just walking into just a regular obstacle race. Nothing, nothing particular. Just, just out there to have a fun day. Surprise, you're just running the hardest race in all and, of and, obstacle course racing. <laughs> and at the time, too, I knew nothing about, you know, nutrition. Here's people, you know, having mustard packets. And I'm like, what? what is this mustard packet all about? 
six hours later, I probably downed about four or five of them. So I definitely learned very quickly. Yikes. Well, I hope you had other food other than mustard with you. Uh, that was it. That was actually it. We were not prepared at all. You didn't have any nutrition for the nine hours. Nope. We didn't realize it was going to take nine hours either. So yeah, that's the biggest thing I tell clients or really anybody when they ask about Killington. They're like, how long should I expect? Say the average is about eight hours and I would plan probably an hour or two after that just to be safe. I would rather be overprepared than underprepared. Yeah. Now, now we know. Now we know for sure. So this is uh, hopefully I'm able to give some information for other people as well that are learning and wondering what Killington's all about. So yeah, 100 percent. So you guys finished in over nine hours. Yep. How did that race go for you overall then? It was kind of just for me, it was a fun day out there with my wife. Uh, you know, we kind of just in, enjoyed being out there. And that was actually the first time that I saw these other people that were coming from behind us and everybody was saying, ultra on your left, ultra on your left. And, you know, I had, I had done the Tough Mudders. I had been to World's Toughest. So I know what the 24-hour event was. But there was these crazy people with these like green wristbands on and they were running the second loop. And in my head, I was thinking, we're out here for nine hours. How are people doing the second loop? So it always kind of just interested me. It always kind of was like, what is this thing? So that kind of got me a little bit more involved in Spartan because I, I actually enjoyed the challenge more than just going out there and enjoying it at that point in time. So, so yeah, so kind of fast forwarding, you know, over the next couple of years, did a couple more Spartans and I had planned to do another one in 2018. But while I was helping setting up the obstacle race course for Muddy Buffalo, we had a 14-foot A-frame wall. Essentially, you would use pegs to get up the one side, and then you would take a rope down on the other. So uh, Joe Bo, who you've spoken with before on this podcast about the race, uh, as we were setting this up, it was actually his birthday that day. I think it was his 50th birthday. And I was joking around saying, hey, old man, I bet you can't run up this 14-foot wall without using pegs or ropes or anything. So there goes Joe, up he goes, gets all the way to the top. And I'm like, all right, awesome. So here I am, you know, at the time, I think I was 34. I'm like, let's go. I can do this too. So having some fun, run up there, get to the top, thinking to myself, well, if I'm going to race this next week, I'm going to do this at race pace. And I'm going to really like surprise a lot of people. So one foot, right foot going up this thing, all of a sudden I hear this loud snap. Well, that was my Achilles essentially rupturing at that point in time. So at that point in time, had some surgeries. Uh, my doctors are telling me I'll never trail run again. I'll never be able to do anything probably over 10 miles on the road. Obstacle racing, forget it. It's never going to happen for you. You just, your ankle's not going to be able to hold up. And again, I'm the type of person that's like, no. No, I'm, I'm going back and I'm going to go and prove you wrong and I'm going to go and do these things. So, you know, with Joe being a good friend and we have a, a large community in the Buffalo area, uh, everybody was like, hey, 2019, let's, let's go do Killington as a group. Let's get an Airbnb. Let's go have some fun. So, of course, I'm like, I'm in. I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm going to go and do this beast and I'm going to go enjoy this. So uh, I don't know if you recall 2019, but it was cold. And it was rainy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mile marker 14. Oh, my God. What the heck? <laughs> like, that was insane. 
And at that point in time, I had I had more than just mustard packets on me. I actually had okay. nutrition, salt tabs. I think they actually had pickle juice that year on the course. Too, so that definitely helped. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, I got back out there. It was, you know, about a year from my, my uh, Achilles rupture. And I, I finished it in four hours. So it was four hours and two minutes, I think. So amazing. Yeah, I felt really good about it. I was like, this is this is awesome. Um, can't wait to come back and probably do this again. So there was uh, five of us. We had finished earlier, went back to the Airbnb, you know, got something to eat, showered. And then we had uh, some other friends that came with us that were still out on course. So we were like, let's go back, hang out at the finish line, hang out, see everybody by the fire pit. It'll have a great time. And uh, eight o'clock at night, I'm seeing these purple jerseys again. These, these people are running this ultra and they are just like, dead they are just completely spent coming in and as soon as they finish you just see this whole new life from them and as we're watching these ultras come in myself and joe bow and our other friend joe we all just sat there and we said next year the three of us are going to come and do this ultra like we're going to go sign up tomorrow or whenever registration comes out we're going to make a pact right now we agreed right then and there we're doing it so uh we all sign up COVID hits, not mm-hmm. sure if the race is going to go on. And this is when uh, myself and the other Joe then kind of became a part of Base Camp Adventure with Joe Bo. And we started training at Buffalo Ski Club where we ended up hosting our event because the gyms were closed and, you know, the world was, you know, in, in mayhem. And I was having like this crazy training sessions all the time. I, I mean, I ended up doing like 80,000 feet of vert that year or something. Cause it wow. was like all we could do. And all I could think in my head was I'm going to Killington to do this ultra. Like I got over my Achilles rupture. I'm going to go prove to everybody that I can do more than just the standard beast. This is who I am. I'm doing this ultra and COVID came no race. So that was kind of disappointing. We still hosted Muddy Buffalo that year. You know, we had to uh, comply with some of the regulations within our county and everything. And we had uh, over 400 people show up for Muddy Buffalo. It was crazy. We had a lot of people that year because there was really not much else to do and people wanted a challenge. So, you know, spent that year, looked forward, you know, got the registration page for the following year. And we were like, great, we're going to go back and we're going to finally do this altar that we had talked about for 2021. So trained throughout the year, feeling really, really good. We have our Muddy Buffalo race, and I was out on our Polaris uh, six-wheel ATV out on course. Uh, we have to, like, bring water to some of the different stations and bring volunteers back. And uh, I was out there towards the end of the day, and I had made a, a left-hand turn coming down one of the hills, and I flipped the ATV. Um, I ended up uh, losing some teeth, uh, cracked some others, broke my nose. Um, seven stitches in my knee, a bunch of, you know, cuts and bruises, you know, and everything along those lines. And then unfortunately, the ultra was two weeks later on the schedule. So, you know, took a week off of training and was like, you know, I'm injured. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm getting some surgeries done in my mouth. I have these stitches in my knee. And I went back out that Saturday before the ultra. And I did another run at, at ski club to get some vert in. And I was like, all right, I can do this. I can go out to, to the ultra and I, I know that and I, I can, I can accomplish this. This is, this is going to be a challenge, but I can go and do this. I have my mindset. So I get there 
and race goes off feeling okay you know and i i ran in the open heat for that one just because i was like yeah i just want to make sure that i can experience this complete it and as the day went on mentally i was like i don't want to be here this is so hard you know i still had seven stitches in my knee weirdly enough one of the guys that was also doing the ultra, he was like, hey, I also have seven stitches on my knee too from an accident last week. So it was kind of like, all right, well, here's some motivation. There's somebody else out here that's, you know, similar situation. And, you know, we can kind of work through this. And I don't know if it was Bear Mountain, but it was one of the last climbs before the sandbag carry last year. And it was very, very steep. And I just remember saying to myself, I don't want to be here. I can't imagine going out and doing another lap right now. This is absolutely insane. I'm done. I'm completely done. So I came into the sandbag. I had a bunch of friends there. They're all cheering like, yeah, you look awesome. You're doing good. I walked into transition with plenty of time. It was like 1230. Like I had a lot of time left in the bag. And I walked to the volunteer and I said, can you please just snip off my wristband? I'm done. And she looked at me like, really? And I'm like, I, I don't want to be here. I don't, I d- don't even ask any questions. Just I'm done. I ended up grabbing my bucket. I walked out of transition. I sat down. I called my wife. I said, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. This is stupid. This is so hard. And she was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is what you do. Like, you, you love these challenges. Why, why are you not doing this? You've got two hours before you have to leave transition again. And I instantly regretted having them cut off my wristband. Yeah. I mean, you could have called your wife from transition before you cut the wristband. You know that. And and that's exactly what my one friend did. He sat in transition for a half an hour, called his wife, and she FaceTimed him and said, don't be a wimp. Just get back out there. Just go ahead. Eat eat a banana, eat a bagel and go back out. I wish I would have done that. Wasn't thinking straight at the time. I was just mentally checked out. I will say, though, I have heard the similar story from a lot of people on the ultra. I've heard it across the years where people go out and they're just like, the first lap wasn't fun. I have no desire to do that again. Mm -hmm. And plenty of time. I mean, I was talking in 2019 to one of the women's elites and she said, I got into transition. They were handing me a lap leader penny and I said, no, I'm not going out again. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. It's more mental than it is physical. I think that's the major thing is with anybody that is getting out there looking to do Killington, whether it's, you know, the beast or or the ultra, it is 100% mental. And the course is designed to break you, especially like this year with the first climb to think about going back out there again. It's designed to try to break you mentally. And if you can overcome that, you can get out there and you can finish it. We all know that ultra racing in general is very mental. Mm-hmm. Killington in particular. Yeah, you need serious training for it, but you need just as much mental training. When I was preparing for my first ultra experience, I knew that my training wasn't going to be the issue. I can grind. But I mean, I have, I, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I have my own mental issues. So I went to a therapist and I said, I'm getting ready to run an ultra. I need help developing coping strategies for when I'm out there. Because the second you fall into that dark place and start doubting yourself, it's only going to go down that hill from there. So before, I mean, even before Killington this year, I had posted it in some groups and said, hey, ultras, 
while you're finishing up your prep, like talk to yourself, figure out what could derail you out on the court and have a strategy to overcome that, you know, whether it's your nutrition, whether it's, you know, your own self-doubt, whether it's aches and pains, be able to identify what it is that's pulling you down and how can you bring yourself back up, you know? And I know you're going to continue on with your story and talk about this one, but for you, it was your penny from your 2021. That was one of the big things that helped keep you motivated. It was absolutely. So what I ended up doing was, is I, as I took that penny from last year, I got home and I took some white paint and I wrote in big letters DNF. And then I wrote 2021 on there. And I hung that up on my wall in my basement where I have a bunch of my workout equipment. So during COVID, I ended up literally just stockpiling all kinds of workout gear because I needed to make sure I would still get my training in. Yep. And every single day I go into my basement and I would look at that stupid penny and be like, I have to go back. Now I did go back two weeks later after, or I think it was three weeks later after Killington and I did the New Jersey ultra. Awesome. Yeah. Completed that one. Felt great. Did it in like nine hours and 30 minutes. Um, you know, still had some of my ailments from my injury, but no, I needed to get back out there. I needed to get back out there and do that ultra. So I did it, but it didn't quite feel accomplished enough. It wasn't Killington. Yeah. It had to be Killington. So I ended up hanging up that penny, looking at it every single day. I did have my ultra medal from New Jersey next to it as a little reminder that you can do that. Went back to New Jersey again this past spring, you know, again, was like, let's start off the year training, get the ultra in. I ran it in 901, so a little bit better than the year before. And actually, I just ran it with my friend for fun. It was just a kind of a fun day to be out there, right? <laughs> ran an ultra for fun and like, exactly, PR, right? course, whatever. Again, again, it's, it's not Killington, so it's got to be fun, right? So, so again, I had that hanging up and I had said to a bunch of people, I really want to take this penny back to Killington with me and I want to burn it at the finish. I want to go to that fire pit, take that penny and never, ever see it again. So here we are, you know, a couple days after I ran the altar again. This time, thank goodness I completed it because my wife said she didn't want to see a second purple penny in our basement with another DNF on there. And I ended up completing it 12 hours and 15 minutes. I actually finished. I went back to my bin in transition. I grabbed the penny and I went up to one of the staff members that was sitting there at the fire pit. And I said, hey, I was here last year. I DNF'd. I came back. This has been such a great experience. I've been staring at this penny for the last year. Can I please burn this in the fire? And he said, oh, you better burn that. The, the mountain is now going to own that penny for, for the remainder of its existence until it is burned to ashes. And I ended up taking it and I burned it in there. I had somebody video record it. I've had so many people reach out to me on Facebook through some of the other Spartan groups. Like, I have video of you doing this. This was such a great experience. Or my husband or my boyfriend or my wife or girlfriend, they were there. They watched this. They thought it was so inspirational. And it was just, for me, it was such a moment to just put 2021 to bed and say, I know that that year was really hard. I came back after an entire year. Not only did I accomplish my goal, but 
I even got on the podium this year, which I was not expecting at all. And the only reason I was able to do that was because of the mind, the mental. I ended up doing a lot of things on that race course that got me to that point where I was, where I was able to finish that race. Congratulations. That is honestly so inspiring. And I know a lot of people that came back this year after DNFing 2021, and they earned that buckle, even though this was arguably the hardest Killington course to date. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit more about how your race went. Did you ever fall into a place of self-doubt or get to the point where your body just hated you? No, absolutely. So you had kind of talked about it yourself. Uh, you know, with your PTSD and uh, finding some coping skills, especially when you're leading into a race like this. Um, I had actually recently started working with a breath coach this past year. Um, I, you know, I, I enjoy yoga, I enjoy meditation, but it just wasn't enough for me. I needed something more to focus on, especially when you're out there and you're doing like an ultra. So we started doing some breath work. And I've, I've recently got a tattoo that says breathe on my finger that I look at on my hand on a daily basis for when I have times that are uh, a little dark, or I'm, you know, having some doubt or some issues. And my wife actually gave me a, like a, one of those little temporary tattoos that said faith on it. So I put that on my hand as well before the race. While I was out there, like, you know, yourself, you're always going to have some dark moments, you know, whether that's you're tired, the course gets really, really hard. Yep. Um, your nutrition is failing you, whatever the case is going to be. Um, I had spoken with my breath coach prior to it. And he said, anytime you get into that type of moment, uh, step back away from it, get a bird's eye view and realize you signed up for this. You wanted to be here. You enjoy these things. You enjoy the suffer. Why? For your own personal reasons. But if you're having a tough moment, look down at your hand, breathe understand and have faith that you're going to finish this and then look around and realize you are on top of a mountain in Vermont. The views are incredible. The conversations with individuals that I had out there that day, I will never forget for the rest of my life. There were people that, you know, look at you as an ultra and say, I can't believe that you're out here doing this. And I'm telling them, get out here and do this. Like, don't, don't have that doubt that you can't, finish this one lap. I know that you can finish this one lap, get out here, work hard, get to that finish line. And this year was, you know, like any other, it was very difficult. There was no swim, uh, which I know a lot of people have mixed emotions about. Personally, one, I didn't miss it <laughs> at all. <laughs> I enjoy the climb. I, I, I actually enjoy climbing up. Uh, the death march to me is, is an enjoyable experience. I know it's like, it's, 30 minutes of a grind. It's to me that that's a lot of fun. So the extra elevation for me was not something that I was not looking forward to. I was actually excited for because that 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 swim was cold last year. It's always cold and you're always going to cramp. But personally, Tarzan swings my favorite obstacle for Spartan. So I yeah, had I been out there, I would have very much missed it. But hearing everybody else's experiences, I'm like, okay, Maybe I'm not as sad that I missed this year's Killington. It would have been nice if they would have figured out a way to have something similar, like maybe put in a second rig to make up for it. Yeah. But I, I get it. Like, the swim is always very cold. You're always going to cramp. But from what I've heard, the weather was actually really hot. So maybe the cold water could have helped a lot of people as well. Yeah. And that's um, my friend and I, we both traveled to this race together. We were kind of talking about that. And 
with it being 80 degrees and a lot of the course this year was exposed in the sun, it probably would have felt nice. Like when we got to that dunk wall, we were like, please give me some relief. I'm ready to have a little bit of water and some coolness on me to, to, to get back out there. Cause they started the race at bear mountain this mm-hmm. year and they sent us up this ascent right away. That was incredibly steep. I, I mean, a lot of people talk about the death march and how difficult that is because of the length of it, uh, you pretty much see that entire mountain in front of you. So you're always kind of looking up going, Hey, I'm still going up. I'm still going up. But this year's course, that, that first ascent plus the ultra loop, I have never seen things that steep in my entire life. It was, you know, hand over foot, just constantly climbing and gripping and trying to get up that thing. It was very tiring. And especially since they did that right at the beginning, as an ultra, you're already looking, you know, 17 miles past that going, I have to start this second loop with this same climb. Yeah. That was crazy. Plus, probably because of the way that the course was designed, there was no water until you got all the way to the top. Really? Oh, yeah. So you had to do, so you started, there was a wall. Um, then they did this like bungee cord crawl underneath. And then there was um, Helix at the bottom. And then there was a barbed wire crawl uphill that then just kept going up and up and up and up to start the race off. And then at the very top, probably 30 minutes or so into your race, you kind of got to your first water station at that point in time. So it really made you think, do I want to go back out? For me, thinking ultra, like I'm getting out of transition area. I'm probably bringing like a slice of pizza or a sandwich or something with me. Because why would I spend the time eat transition mm-hmm. when I'm going right back on course? And I know that I have a little bit of time before I have to really do anything. So there's no way you can really be eating if you're on your hands and knees crawling up to the top of the mountain. So I had a, a bagel with Nutella that I took with me. I was eating that as I was walking out of transition. I was only there for three minutes. Right before I got to the timing mat to go back into the actual course, I did a self-check. Like, okay, I've got some gels, I've got water. And I was like, oh no, I forgot my salt tablets. I actually ran back to transition, had to get my salt tablets. Now we're talking bagel in mouth, Nutella's dripping everywhere, got my salt tablets. By the time I got to that first wall, I still didn't finish up my bagel. I had to like stuff that in my mouth go over the wall and of course you got your volunteer there and she's like are you serious and i'm like i don't have any time to waste i don't think you understand my last ultra was the carolina ultra so nothing close to kellington but i remember i was getting out of transition and i mean it was 10 30 in the morning so there's a bunch of people still taking off from the heats but i'm like eating a slice of pizza i'm running out and i see somebody that was training with me here in massachusetts And they're like, Megan, how's it going? Like, what are you up to? They're like, are you eating right now? As we're like jumping over the wall, I like have the pizza in my mouth and jump over. I'm like, well, yeah, it's lunchtime. Like, (laughs) you know, I've already done this for one time through. I need some fuel. Like now's the best time to get it because otherwise I only have gels and whatever else in my pack. Like I want real food. Mm -hmm, Exactly. I know you mentioned with how this was all set up this year, like you said, It started at Bear Mountain, and that's because they're doing the construction. So I was told that they had to backload a lot of the obstacles because they couldn't access 
most of the mountain to set up the obstacles. So that played into, mm-hmm. you know, you had your wall, you had your crawl all the way up the hill, water 30 minutes in. But that also meant that a good portion of the first half was all steep ascents and steep descents. So how did you feel going through all of that climbing and descending? Um, obviously, with the weather the way that it was, it, it heated up pretty quickly. So having you know hydration on me was very, very important. Having the salt tablets on me as well was, was uh, very important. And again, climbing right away really made you rethink like, oh my goodness, like I'm going to be out here doing this all day long. This is how it's going to be. The climbs were rough. It was, it was very steep. It was, it was challenging for sure. But then as we all know, what goes up must come back down. So they, they didn't give us any breaks on the descents either. They were extremely steep and, you know, quite a, quite a bit of Killington is pretty rocky going down as well. So you have to really watch your footing. And it was actually kind of, kind of fun. So you know, you're out there for a couple hours, you make a lot of friends, you know, not just from other altars, but beast runners as well. There's, there was this woman out there, her name was Tara, she was one of the elite women. And she had on a bug net. She puts this, she puts this thing on and she's walking up this hill. And I'm like, what the heck is she doing? Well, I found out a couple minutes later, as I got to where she was, the black flies were just crazy out there for some reason. So of course, I'm starting this conversation with You've got this like crazy bug net on. What is this all about? Her and I start talking. And then as you're kind of like going throughout the day, you start to kind of figure out this rhythm. I was going up the hill really, really fast. She was descending crazy fast as I was, you know, putting my brakes on because we have our different strengths and things. And it, it was really interesting then throughout the day, her and I would kind of talk. She's like, you're pushing me to get up the uphills. And I'm like, you're pushing me to keep up with you to get to the downhills because you're so fast at this. And a lot of people uh, on the ultra loop, they'll talk about it. There was one descent. It was the steepest thing I've ever seen. Like, I don't know how half of us didn't just go tumbling down this hill towards the bottom. And it was only like in the first like mile of it too. We were like, I know that there's two more descents on this ultra loop. Like, what are they going to throw at us next? It was just absolutely crazy. So it was steeper than the double black diamond that I think in 2019 we went down. And then 2021, they sent everybody up. It was almost like that for probably six or seven of the ascents and descents that they had. There was so many steep hills that were just, I had never seen it like that before. That's crazy. So... Putting aside the masochist in you, you know, the racer who just loves to embrace the suck. As somebody who works in, you know, trail running, ultra racing and events, how do you feel this course was designed in terms of a perspective for like the new racers or the novice racers? I think they did a really good job of designing it. Um, They kind of utilized all of the mountain, which was really, really nice. You know, typically they have a lot of the rigs up towards the top too when it comes to grip intensive type of activities, which I thought was really good. It really tests yourself. So you know that you are bent from the climb, you get up there and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well now we're going to throw Twister at you as well. Or we're going to throw bender at you, or you're going to have to use some of those grips. So 
I think a lot of people, you know, for somebody that was new, it was quite the experience to be like, wow, they just threw this massive climb at us and they're not going to stop throwing it at us. This is this is a challenge. This is the idea. You know, for somebody who has done these before, it was nice to kind of see that, to realize that they're not just going to give it to us. I know the completion rate from like the year before, I think was only like 17%, for instance, for the ultra. I think a lot of races would be like, how do we make it? easier so that there's more finishers to get more people to come to our events they don't i don't think they think about that they think about it as this is killington this is going to be a challenge and if you're going to complete it you need to come here and be ready both physically and mentally and for those people that are running the beast that are interested in running the ultra they just get a taste of it they don't even see the ultra loop at that point in time to realize that there's almost another three or four miles of, you know, ascending and descending with additional obstacles as well. So I, I think the course in general, what people are saying, you know, with it being the hardest it's ever been, it was no lie. It absolutely was one of the hardest that I have ever seen being out there, even mm-hmm. from seeing just some of the previous beast courses from running one loop of it. I find this so fascinating because, I mean, obviously in racing, you want to welcome all new racers. You don't. You want something that is attainable. And Spartan definitely says we want to pull you off the couch. And you look at people like a Savage Race and OCRWC, and they'll post, you know, their obstacle completions or whatever else, because obviously that's mm-hmm. their big thing. So they have target completion rates. And then you see Spartan, they're like, we're just going to keep making terrain more and more challenging. So like, I know for me, I had one client who DNF. Last year and this year, and after the race, he came to me and he said, oh my gosh, like, that was unreal. Like, they're just making it too difficult. And he's like, Mm -hmm. he was saying, he's like, ultimately, my body felt great. I definitely could have gone out and completed the second lap, but I just didn't have enough time. And for him, confidence was a big thing. So he was really worried about injuring himself. So where you were saying Tara was pushing you on the descents he was being really conservative. So he was really worried about, you know, busting an ankle or whatever else. But at the end, he said, you know, I think Killington's just out of my reach. It's just too tough for me. And I said, well, I don't think it's too tough, but I think it just takes a greater level of commitment for your training and then a greater amount Mm -hmm. of confidence. But hearing about Killington, the one thing that I wasn't too impressed with was that they I don't want to say dumbed down but they didn't bring out their beast mode of some of the obstacles Mm -hmm. so I had heard what like twister was two segments it was yep I had heard some other things about super mode versus beast mode like they didn't have the ropes on the multi-rig and stuff like that so from an experienced racer's perspective how do you feel the difficulty was between the terrain versus the obstacles? And where should that difficulty line lie? Like, what do you want more difficulty in the terrain? So like the race itself or the obstacles for the obstacle portion of obstacle course race? Yeah, no. So that was interesting. Actually, my friend and I talked about that with Twister afterwards, because in New Jersey in October last year, it was three segments from what I had remembered. And then when we came back in the spring, it was two. And I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. And, and, it, and it really makes a difference. It's so much easier with the two because 
once you get past that, it becomes very, very taxing, obviously. Um, yep. I, I ripped a little, you know, on, on oh, no. this year too, you know, just, just getting towards the end there, but only seeing two at Killington was, was a relief. Yes. But you almost want that full challenge. Like it's been there before. I, I, I want to see that. And same thing, like you said, with the multi-rig, they did the rings to the straight bar back to the rings again, to the bell. And I'm not saying that it's easy to finish that. But in comparison to having just the ropes there, it's definitely a lot easier to, to grip the ring or even chicken wing it a little bit, get yourself through that obstacle. You know, personally, I would like to see the obstacles harder. If you had to say what's what's going to take the time and make it more difficult, whether you want the terrain or the obstacles, I would rather see the obstacles be harder. That's why you're there. That's why you're there for a Spartan race and not the Spartan trail race. You want to throw a trail race and throw all the mountains and all the crazy descents in the woods and all that type of stuff. I think that that's great. But when you come to a Spartan race, you want to be challenged with the obstacle. You want that spear throw. You want, you know, the multi-rig to be as hard as it is. Why they ended up not doing those ropes, maybe just because it was the second to last obstacle. And I think, yeah, mentally it sucks for a lot of people to be like, oh yeah, I finished the ultra or I finished the beast, but I didn't finish like the last obstacle where like my family is, or there's like the cool pictures and videos and things like that. So maybe that's why they ended up doing it that way. But I I agree that I I think that they should definitely make the obstacles as challenging as possible for those types of races. 100%. And I mean, that's my strong suit. Like I love to climb. I love to descend. I do really love Killington. It's my favorite Spartan venue. The last time I ran Killington was in 2019. Last year, I was focusing on OCRWC. So I went out, I taught the obstacle specialist course, and I marshaled at the multi-rig. I saw how many people physically struggle with that rope. And seeing even the elites come through and being able to count on one hand how many people were beating that rope. And it there's a reason why it's a beast mode level obstacle and you want to see people mm-hmm. physically grab onto that rope and maybe climb it or struggle and get to that bell. I know in 2019 they had the multi-rig at the end of the race and I knew the volunteers who were there and the marshal and afterwards I chicken winged the entire multi-rig until I got to that rope. Like I army crawled my way across the bar. I grabbed onto the rope and I swung through, rang that bell. And they said, you know, I was one of four women that they saw beat the multi-rig during the rain. And it's like, there's such a sense of pride saying, not only did I finish this race, but I beat the obstacle at its hardest level right at the end, like that finish carried me to a mountain series from age group and like it was just so uplifting and I know I saw a lot of ultras coming off of you know their first lap hit that you know multi-rig bell and then go into the transition and that's such a high for them or it can like really set the tone going into transition and I I think that is a slight miss for Spartan. We definitely want to see harder obstacles, especially at Killington, because it is the most authentic of obstacle mm-hmm. races or Spartan venues, I should say. I think what they they did was was try to use the mountain for a lot of those challenges, not so much 
the rigs and the grip intensive type of obstacles because what they did do they had the bucket carry and the sandbag carry within the last two miles of each other and that was challenging in itself because you you knew especially for like the ultra loop that you had both of those carries coming towards the end the amount of people on that last sandbag carry they took us up the half pipe or you know pretty much down the half pipe back up and then all the way down the side the amount of people i heard just saying this is ridiculous this sucks this is this is so hard i think that you know some of the obstacles lacked difficulty in terms of like the rig but they kind of threw in a couple other loops with like the heavy carries towards the end which made it a little bit more difficult as well so i think they had to utilize them out in the way that they could i just hope that they didn't like Again, I hate saying dumbed down, but like decrease the difficulty of specific obstacles, knowing that they just made this course so much harder. Like there are a lot of people that they want those harder obstacles. Like they do so much better at the obstacles versus the terrain. So for some of us who are racing competitively, who are really straight obstacles, we use at time that we're not burping to like pass a lot of people. And we know we're burpees are going to taxing on people so if we see a solid burpee pit you know they're coming out of that burpee pit and they're not getting right back into their run or you can build so much time um, so that's a, a little bit of a miss in my opinion but again i didn't race it absolutely i think i love this story and i love that you were able to come out and really redeem yourself after 2021 so just to make sure I have this correctly, the injuries weren't what caused you to DNF, correct? The, the injuries themselves weren't the reason for the DNF. It was more the mental struggle of having the accident and kind of just not really wanting to be there to go through the struggle. Again, I had like stitches in my knee, but you know, you can get over that type of pain. You can get over obstacles with the stitches. More or less a matter of, wow thinking about going out here for another six or seven hours just didn't seem like something I wanted to do at that time. Obviously, last year we had a podcast where we talked about DNF stories because so many people have these, especially from Killington. But also, you know, you have Tahoe coming up, you have Jersey. DNF is not anything to ever be ashamed of. The course didn't beat you. It's not anything really that needs to weigh you down. And we all say, you know, we need to own our DNFs because they're such learning experiences. So now that you have come back from a DNF, what would you say to people who maybe did DNF this year? Definitely take a look at the reasons why you 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 did DNF. So for some people, it might actually just be simple as, oh, I didn't have the right nutrition. It might be the right type of gear. I didn't have the right type of shoes. Some of it might even just be understanding transition. I think a lot of people get into transition, and that is a time for them to sit down, evaluate how they feel, figure out what they want to take out for the second loop, if they want to change socks, if they want to do this. And a lot of people will overthink that. You know, maybe not for all of the ultras, but definitely for Killington, when you get into transition, you need to already have your stuff ready to go. You need to pick it up and you need to get the heck out of there. Because when you sit down, you're going to really start thinking about things. And do you really want to go back out there? And you're wasting valuable time. 
if you look at other ultras, you know, like New Jersey coming up, for instance, you know, if you had DNF that in the past, again, look at the reasons why you had DNF, you know, and then take that time to figure out how you can cut that, those corners. Did I, did you take, you know, 20 extra minutes out on course because you didn't have the right type of trial shoes on you, or maybe you bonked 22 miles in because you didn't eat enough food while you were at your transition originally. So it's just kind of evaluate your race, realize what didn't work for you the first time, make some adjustments, you know, go on different uh, forums or listen to different podcasts and see what works for other people. So then that way, when you get out there, you, you kind of have all the tools to be successful at it in the end. Ultimately comes down to preparation, of course. And I had two clients this year that both earned their buckle and one of them earned it after his third attempt. So he DNF twice before and this year he came to me said, you know, I really want to take this seriously. So I want to put in the extra work, dedicate my time. And then he ended up earning his buckle. And it, when I program out my clients, I do have them take extra long training runs where I say, okay, I know that I have you going out for four, five, six hours. This is not to be treated like it is a race. So I don't want you going race pace. I don't want you to just burn yourself out. Instead, it, it's a zone two run. Just get time on your feet. But then also I tell them maybe halfway, two thirds of the way in, set up a place where you can have your transition area. So loop back to your car and, you know, test out your nutrition, test out your gear. And then once you have all of this, come back and report to me, you know, what were you feeling? When were you feeling it? What did you eat? When did you eat it? How did it make you feel? Same thing with the nutrition, you know, change your shoes, change your socks. If you need to change, you know, your clothing, test out anything you could possibly use on race day. And then remember what you were experiencing with those test outs. Because ultimately, I want them to come into transition and say, okay, I know what I need to do. I I tell all my clients, change your shoes and socks because putting on those new shoes are going to wake up the nerve endings in your feet a little bit more. And the second your feet start going, they're going to be toast. So if you can change your shoes and socks and prolong any kind of experiences, that's going to be better than getting out onto the second lap and getting, you know, one, two miles in and being like, I should have changed my shoes and socks. And it's just, you know, little things for comfort and to really wake up the mind again. Same thing where I tell them, you know, have something that you enjoy in your transition bin. You know, have some food that you're going to look forward to. As much as everybody loves peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I mean, I've never eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm weird like that. But like, that just doesn't sound like something that I would really enjoy. But a slice of pizza, I never eat pizza. Yeah. Like, I bring peanut butter M&Ms out. That is something that I will look forward to eating. So when I start to get into that dark place, I'm like, no, go eat something that's going to bring you enjoyment. Because even just having a little bit of comfort is going to pay off in dividends when you're out on course. Yeah, and that's so true, especially with the preparation you know, point of that. I had geared test a couple of things a week before as well you know, knowing that the temperatures were going to be a certain way. Uh, I always wear like longer tight pants uh, just to make sure that I don't get uh, kind of bruised up and cut up. So I had gone out and bought some Under Armour 
climate controlled one so that they were a little bit lighter. And I went out a week before, you know, on a run with them. And I was like, these are so tight. I'm going to be chafing like crazy. There's no way that these are ever going to work. I know that if I would have put those on without gear testing that gone out there, I would have had a miserable time. I would have gotten them wet. I would have been chafing like crazy. And that, that probably would have changed a lot of the things that happened, you know, during that day for that race to go as well as it did, just, just because I had tested that stuff prior to it. We tell everybody the second that you're hungry on course, you're screwed. The second mm -hmm. you're thirsty on course, you're screwed. If you feel a hot spot in your shoes, you probably already have a blister. So if you can test something out and say, oh, I don't like how this is fitting in this certain area, like you need to know that and make sure you find something that doesn't give that sensation or have a strategy to make sure you're not going to chafe, you're not going to blister. You know, if you have to set little reminders on your phone or on your watch to say, hey, 45 minutes, go mm -hmm. eat something or whatever else, like you got to do it. And it's all about prolonging any negative sensation. And that's the thing too, is also listening to yourself and listening to your body while you're out on course there. So I typically am not somebody who used to change out my socks and my shoes. But what was unique about this course was my feet didn't get wet until around mile. So it would have been 15 with the ultra loop. That's where essentially where like that dunk wall was. The rest of the time, my feet were dry. I decided when I got into transition, I'm going to change my socks. I'm going to change my shoes because I know that I can run for the next 10 or 11 miles with dry feet. You're damn right. I was going to change that out. So oh, well, yeah. yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely good to do those types of things in transition and, and make that adjustment to make sure I was out there doing what I needed to do. And it's all about having that own self-awareness. Mm -hmm. So when I send my clients out, for an ultra, I put together actually a chest and I'm you guys whole long list of what to do during a paper, what to do during race week. But on race day, I give them a couple of pointers. One, don't try anything new on race day. So when we hear everybody saying, oh, well, is Spartan going to have any aid stations? Like, don't. Mm -hmm. You don't know how your body is going to react. And I've heard from a lot of people that this ultra in particular, or this beast for some people, that their stomach just wasn't having this race. You know, they got X amount of hours in and they were vomiting. They couldn't hold anything down. And that's scary. And if you're trying something new on top of that, you're setting yourself up for disaster and for a DNA. Absolutely. And that I think that was the biggest thing. Like you said, a lot of people were having some stomach issues because there was, you know, the additional heat that was, you know, a, a part of the course yep. this year. And then um, they had some honey stingers. Um, I forget what mile it was, but at one of the, uh, one of the water stations and, you know, again, gear testing, I've had honey stingers. I packed them to begin with, with yep. my gel. So I know that I'm able to have them. And I ended up eating two of them because I needed the additional nutrition at that point in time, because I was burning those calories. And like you said, I know once you get hungry, you're done. You're going to start bonking at that point in time. You got to stay ahead of that. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm the same way. I mean, for the super in New England, I didn't bring anything out, but they had honey stinger waffles. And I was like, perfect. I love mm -hmm. honey stinger waffles. I train with them. I'm a hive member. Like, this is ideal. But anytime, you know, people start posting in those groups, oh, what are they going to have on course? Like, no, just don't. Always train with what you're, or race how you train, 
bring whatever it is out that you know you can handle on course. If there's anybody from Spartan um, listening, next time I want vanilla honey stingers out there. Those, those, are, those are the ones I want. When I reached into that box and didn't see a vanilla one, I was a little disappointed. Yeah, Spartan, can we start taking special order? <laughs> yeah, we want the special orders out there. Number two, I tell them eat a mix of carbs, proteins, and fats for breakfast. I think a lot of people never really have a set plan for breakfast. And especially out on an ultra, you need to have a good mix because we're, we fuel our body with the carbs and fats, but the proteins help to stop our body from breaking down its muscle. But then one thing that I've had to reiterate to a lot of people recently, and I've baffled by this, but a lot of people try to bring out like whole wheat, whole grain, better sources of carbs. And Mm -hmm. when we're racing in particular, you're allowed to eat the junk and actually foods with a higher glycemic index. So your white breads, your potato chips, your quote unquote junk foods. Those are what's going to fuel you better onto an ultra. So maybe for breakfast, if you are going for an ultra, like a whole wheat, whole grain isn't going to be the worst thing. Although we want to be a little iffy on the fibers only because it's going to provide you fuel for longer. But if you're going out during an ultra, you want to grab some potato chips. You want, you know, a white bread with that peanut butter and jelly sandwich because your body processes those sugars so quickly that it's going to give you pretty much instant fuel. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, obviously, throughout the day, it's it's good to be healthy. You want those those good alternatives. But I, I'll tell you, I love Pop-Tarts only on race yep. day. I will yep. never eat them on a regular basis. But, oh, yeah, give me an Oreo Frosted Pop-Tart on race day, and I'll eat the whole box. It's exactly what I need. Oh, yeah. Amelia was special. Yes, exactly. That That is very common. I tell people I only eat donuts. Like, before or during a race. Yep. Like if I'm going out on an ultra, I'm like, yeah, I'll have half a donut now, half a donut later. When I'm going out for like my three hour long runs, I'll keep a donut in my car just in case I need some instant energy. Mm-hmm. Because you want that if you feel like you could bonk, anything that can give you quicker energy is going to help you sustain. If you haven't tried it, try it now while training before the race. <laughs> yes. Yes. Don't bring out any of this stuff on race day. Make sure you know what it is Absolutely. that you want. But I tell them, you know, take water and electrolytes out on course. Eat and drink before you're hungry, thirsty. Obviously, we've talked about that. Aim to eat every 45 minutes. And then keep something you enjoy in your transition and in your pack. Again, for more of that mental pick-me-up as opposed to just the physical one. Absolutely. Then change your socks and shoes in transition. And again, it's to really wake up the nerves, get your body kind of reinvigorated. Talk to people around you. You've been talking about this the entire time. Those people out on course, they are going to carry you to the finish line. I know for me, I have always looked up to the ultras. I think of my first times on Killington and seeing ultras passing and seeing how strong they looked. And you know, not all of them are always strong, but you they say ultra on your left or you see an ultra coming and it's oh my gosh, awesome job, Ultra, good job. So when I'm running an Ultra, I'm going to be talking to the beast racers next to me saying, oh my gosh, good job, you're almost there. Because at the end of the day, we're out there together and we're going to carry each other to finish line. Absolutely, yeah. Some of the conversations I had with people out there really kind of changed the day 
and it wasn't even just myself. So, you know, obviously I try to motivate people as I'm out there, but I need that motivation as well. And uh, there was one specific instance I was kind of running through a technical session uh, section in the woods and I was passing these two gentlemen and I was like, I'll turn on your left, you know, and I always try to say thank you with whatever energy I kind of have. And the guy was like, man, I can't believe he has that much pep in his step. And for me, him saying that and me hearing that just changed my mindset. And I was like, you're right. I do have a pep in my step. I can keep going. Thank you. Whoever you were that you said that for the next mile, you kept me going that much harder just by giving me that little bit of motivation out there. And again, while you're out there, you try to share that with everybody. You know, it's, it's you're, you're climbing up the death march. You've got 30 minutes. Look at the person next to you. See if they're struggling. Ask them how they're feeling. And that's what a lot of us did from the altar group that were kind of sticking together. We just kept checking on each other. How are you feeling? Oh, yeah, I've got this little issue. Okay, great. Let's work through that. Or, oh, yeah, I'm feeling good. Cool. I'm going to I'm gonna use some of your energy. I'm going to feel good, too. Help me through this kind of thing. So it's awesome. Just the whole day to have that experience with all those people, it really helps push along. That's amazing. And that, I think, is the biggest takeaway from any Spartan race in general. But especially for ultras, you really lean on the people around you, whether it's fellow ultras, beast racers, uh, the volunteers, the Spartan staff. The more you can talk to people, the more it's going to keep you out of your head, out of those dark spaces. And your conversation with them could also be carrying them to that finish line. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the best part of being out there that whole, that whole time with that many people. Then the last tip I, t- I tell my clients is know the difference between good pain and bad pain. And I think that's important for everybody when it comes to racing, but ultras in general. Ultra racers are a very different breed. They don't know what pain is. So when they do feel it, they're like, eh, I can turn that off. Eh, I don't need to listen to that. But ultimately, it's okay to tap out if you feel like there is pain. So for sure, that's definitely one thing to listen to your body with. And, and uh, I'll give you a an example. So um, when I actually was out on course, I was starting to feel a little bit of uh, pain actually in my right hand. Um, I, I actually started to get a little bit of uh, swelling from that. Um, but again, having that experience, uh, kind of understanding, okay, did I break something? No, it doesn't feel that way. Did I tear a ligament? No, probably nothing along those lines. And as I'm out there, I was able to kind of test it, feel, you know, kind of what was happening. And uh, I, essentially, I think what was happening was was the sodium getting all the electrolytes in. I was starting to get a little bit of, you know, puffiness just from being out there for so long. And you start to get a little bit of swelling. And again, having that experience, evaluating it and saying, I'm okay. It's a little bit of pain. It's not something that can take me out of this race. Or again, you know, I work in technology. I'm working with my hands all day. Can I go to work the next day? Am I going to be able to continue? You know, evaluate it, realize I'm okay. This is a pain that just comes with the territory of racing out here for 12 plus hours. So I obviously just ran my list of my clients. Now with your experience, what advice would you give future Killington Ultra racers or really any extra, any ultra racers in general? Sure, absolutely. So the biggest thing that I would say is go into the race with the mindset that you're going to finish. You know, you can't really think about how the day is going to go because if you try to create this movie of the perfect race, 
it's not going to happen. There's going to be obstacles that you weren't ready for. The course is going to be possibly more difficult than you had anticipated with. You really just need to go in on that day and say, I did the work up to this moment. I decided to be here. I want to be here. I'm going to finish. And you have to get into that mindset. You know, in 2021, my mindset was, okay, I'm here. I didn't have the mindset of, okay, I'm going to go and finish. So all of those doubts kind of started to creep into my mind as I was starting to get tired. I was like, oh, I don't want to go back out there. I don't want to have to go through this pain and this agony again. And another, you know, eight hours just doesn't seem like a good time. I probably went through those same scenarios this year and probably had more difficulty with moving as fast as I was and trying to get to that finish line. But mentally, I continued to tell myself, breathe, have faith, believe that you're going to finish and have that mental capacity to understand this is going to be a tough day. It's not going to be perfect. So going into it, even a week before the race, I had made a decision that I was going to be there and I was going to work hard and I was going to finish. So all of that preparation is wonderful with your training and nutrition and your gear. But at the end of the day, if you're not mentally ready to get into that stuck for that long, to get to that finish line, it's going to be that much harder for you. So it's so mentally being there, that is the key for sure. And that's where I always have my clients, you know, if they need to list it out for me, or at least make a list for themselves and say, you know, what can derail you? And how are you going to handle it? If it comes up, you know, do you need something from your family to physically read in the middle of the ultra? Like, no, they believe in me. Or do you need to have, you know, the comfort foods? Do you need seltzer and transitionary like have something figured out but then I also I'm somebody that when I run I like to do math in my head like it just makes the time go a little bit less if I'm like okay I'm halfway there blah 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 so I always tell my clients we we want to focus on finishing yes but also know when the time cutoffs are Mm -hmm. and instead of thinking I got to go all this way think okay I have to get to this time cutoff And, oh my gosh, I'm at the time cutoff and I still had X amount of time. I now have two two hours more that I have to get to my next time cutoff. And then that motivates me and I'm like, okay, how much extra time can I bank before the next time Mm -hmm. cutoff? And I think time cutoff to time cutoff. And ultimately that's what gets me to the end a little bit quicker because it breaks that race down into shorter segments. And I'm like, okay, I just need to go to Olympus now. Okay, I just need to go to this. And especially with something like Killington, where you're on that second lap and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to make it before the time cut off. It, it helps get you there a little bit easier than, oh my gosh, that nine o'clock on, like at the fire, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to really come up quick. So I always say, just think time cutoffs. Yeah, that was actually kind of an interesting thing that I had while I was out there too, because originally going into the race, I was concerned about time cutoffs. It was- got to be in transition and be out by 2.30 and we had to be at armor by 7.15. But then you can also take it, like you said, okay, I have more time. I have this extra time. I'm in transition with more time. I started playing a game with myself because I knew that armor cutoff was 7.15. As I was coming into the uh, mile 30, I said, I can finish this before armor cutoff time. I'm going to be ecstatic. So literally I was like, I started climbing some of these, some of the hills. I started running at the very end because I was like, 
if I can finish this race before 7.15, that's quite the accomplishment in my brain. And I started using that as my own motivation. Like, let's get there. Let's do this. Let's, let's get there before most people can't even get to that last cutoff time. So it was kind of a cool experience to, to start working harder towards the end. 100%. I've run a lot of lapped ultras and I'm like, okay, if I want to get to X amount of mileage, I need to average like an hour and a half this lap or each lap. And then like I finish in like an hour, then I'm like, oh my gosh, this just increased the average that I can have over the course of this entire like 24 hours Mm -hmm. by X amount of minutes. And then I'm trying to consistently keep it as under like that original hour and a half as possible. I'm like, okay, I'm still on track. I'm still on track. And then I'm like, okay, now I have a little bit more time in my transition area or whatever else. And it just keeps you motivated so much more because you're like, no, I'm, I'm not struggling with this. I'm ahead of schedule. And how, how mm-hmm. much more ahead of schedule can I be? You, you really start to play like your own kind yeah. of mind game. But again, it, it's, it keeps it's you mentally thinking about it and less in your head and doubting yourself because you're like actually utilizing your brain. And the second your brain really shuts off when you're racing, you're kind of screwed. So if you stay mm-hmm. sharp and think about things, then you're not going to let that self-doubt kick in. Awesome. Absolutely. So for me, obviously, as a coach, I love to hear back from all my clients. And after each race, I ask and I say, okay, what went well and what can you improve upon for next time? So looking back now, congratulations, you finished the Killington Ultra. This was a huge goal for you. What went well for you? and what can you improve upon and what is next for you? So I would say what went well for me was definitely nutrition. <clears throat> I, I had definitely planned ahead to have enough gels on me. I also started taking over the last two years with some of the ultras. Uh, I, I take the salt tablets. So again, I kind of have a time frame. like every hour I'm taking some salt, I'm taking the nutrition. So what that ultimately ended up leading to was faster second lap times. When I'm looking at my Strava from that race, I was running faster on the second lap than I was on the first lap. Amazing. I was very surprised at that and, and how good I actually felt. And I think that was, again, I prepared knowing, go in feeling you know, good on the first lap to get out of transition, make sure that you're eating properly, and then really start working on that second lap. So for sure... Uh, what went well was nutrition and just planning myself and, you know, making sure I, I had enough food for that time period that I was going to be out there. Things that didn't go well definitely was uh, my hand starting yep. to hurt. Uh, I ended up uh, ripping my other hand. So, and then on the traverse, I ended up dragging my ankles instead of going one over the other on the, the first loop because I was starting to get a little tired. So major brush burns there. So that's just obstacle proficiency on, on my own part. The running portion is not a problem for me. The climbing the mountains definitely isn't. But I know that my grip started to fail a little bit. That then led to, you know, my hands ripping and having to drag my ankles. So that kind of slowed me down a little bit. So then when I ended up getting into something like Twister, it was like, okay, I really had to think about the obstacle again and go, okay, instead of going every single ring, maybe I have to go every other right now because I have to get through it quicker. And then I had to risk possibly failing that portion of it. So if there was anything that I needed to work on, it would definitely be 
just doing more obstacles, doing more grip intensive type of things to make sure that I'm strong enough to get through that the entire time for sure. In terms of what's next, my wife and I are going to this race called the Grand Circle in three weeks. So you camp out in Utah and you drive to Zion one day, you run a 13 mile race, uh, you have the whole day in the park, you come back, you have this whole festival with music and food and all these activities. Next day you do Bryce Canyon and then the third day you do the Grand Canyon. So they're all 10 miles or more. Then after that, world's toughest mutter could potentially be on the calendar. I haven't ruled it out. I did it when it was in Vegas. I know this year it's in Alabama. So a little bit warmer weather might be kind of a nice thing. We'll see. I haven't done a 24-hour race in a while, but I, I definitely would like to maybe jump back into that one of these times. So we'll see. Super jealous of that Utah and Canyon trip. Uh, that sounds like a dream come true. And that, that's very exciting about World Toughest Mudder. I'd say you should probably make a decision and kind of start ramping up a little bit of training. But at least you know you're not going to have to climb 17,000 feet of elevation. This is very true. So, yeah, I got, I got to look at the schedule. I haven't exactly told my wife about World's Toughest yet. So if she listens to this, this might be a little surprise for her. But uh, it's in November. We've got some time. We've got So, so she sees me running some more. She'll be like, what are you training? Surprise! <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're going to want to ramp up that obstacle training too then, because I think you're going to have some more hanging obstacles. And Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Toughen up the stomach for, you know, shot, shots of hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard some of those, some of those, uh, those obstacles and those uh, penalties are a little different. So. Oh my gosh. Uh, World's Toughest Mudder is definitely on my schedule. Eventually, I'm just hoping they stop putting it on Fenway weekend. Ah, okay. Because me, I'm, I'm a little partial to Fenway since it's, you know, across the street pretty much. Um, but also, I'm a huge Red Sox fan and I just love running Fenway. Nice. So, do you have anything else you would like to add for our listeners? Anybody considering running Killington in general, the Ultra? Any final pieces of advice or anything that you maybe haven't mentioned? So definitely for sure, if anybody's thinking about doing Killington, do the research. You know, if, mm-hmm. you've, if you've done a Spartan race before, this is not like every Spartan race. It's definitely a lot more difficult. You'll be out there for a longer period of time, you know, and just over the last couple of days, like I said, I've kind of just gone on social media and just, just posted some of my experiences and my finish and you know, I've talked with a lot of people and they were like, oh, yeah, I had this injury and I was able to come back and, you know, do Killington and do these events. Don't give up. Again, you know, I ruptured my Achilles and I had doctors tell me that I would never be able to go out there and do these events. I wanted to get back out there because I enjoy them. They are so much fun. They are an experience of a lifetime. And if you can get out there and do that, get motivated, you know, surround your people, surround yourself with people that you know, want to see you succeed and want to see you push and tell them, you know, I want to go do the Spartan race or I want to go do a beast, get a group of people, go do it as, as a group and have fun out there and just enjoy it and just, you know, believe in yourself at the end of the day. Definitely. I think also we, we want to keep reiterating everybody that Killington is a serious commitment and the beast people will be out there anywhere from, you know, four to eight hours. I mean, if you're Ryan Kempson, you're finishing in under three. I don't know how. 
he flew by me. It was absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, I saw that time and I'm like, what? How? Yeah. But I mean, you have Josh Fury finishing the ultra this year in like eight and a half or something. And I mean, he's just an animal in and of itself. But if you're thinking about running Killington, whether it's the Beast, the Ultra, I mean, hell, even the sprint this year had like 2,000 feet of elevation. It, it takes serious training. It is a real commitment. So ask questions, ask for help, and be humble enough to accept it. Because I think that's the biggest thing I've seen on social media is people get really stuck in their ways with their training and they don't accept help. And don't people telling them there are things that can be done better. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you get the results you train for. And we all have blinders on when it comes to our own personal training. And we don't train the things that we don't know. So if we want to keep getting better, we have to train the things that are our weaknesses. We don't train our weaknesses because oftentimes we just don't know about them. So feel free to ask questions, accept advice. We want to continue to see people earning their buckles, you know, PRing out on Killington and really just continuing to crush course. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the community, everybody is always looking to help, you know, shameless plug, you know, with us being in Buffalo and we have our races, you know, we, we put on Muddy Buffalo so that people can experience, you know, a five mile race you know, at a ski resort that has, you know, all the different obstacles that a Spartan race would as well. So if you're thinking about doing a Spartan race, but you don't think you're quite ready for it and you're in the Buffalo area or Pennsylvania or in and around there, come to our race, experience what a small portion of it is, you know, figure out what your weaknesses are. So that way, when you get out to go do, you know, a much tougher race, like a Spartan race, you're, you'll be ready for it. You'll know exactly what you're out there for. I definitely need to come out to Muddy Buffalo. Um, that's been on my list for a bit yeah. now. Um, the weekend, it's always tough because I think last year I had ran the Noob Sanity Fit Ultra like the weekend before. And then I was trained for OCRWC. So my coach said, you're not allowed to do anything between Fit Ultra and OCRWC. And it, it just hasn't worked out. But I definitely need to put it on my schedule for next you year. You can just come hang out. We need, a, we need somebody to MC <laughs> and, you know, volunteer okay. do some some timing with us and maybe you know sit at the rig and help people through some of the obstacles like that come come volunteer it'd be a good time definitely i know i need to because like i said one of my best friends is from the buffalo area and he's always looking to get back there awesome awesome then matthew do you have any other plugs that you want to give no i think that's it you know just you know my name matthew ladwick if you guys are ever searching i'm on instagram and facebook i'm always willing to chat with people. I'm, I'm you know, very often at different races and stuff like that. So uh, I'm not shy. I love, you know, trying to give advice to people. I don't always have the right answer, but, um, you know, I can always try to give you the experiences that I've had and hopefully that'll get you to the end result that you're looking to get to. Perfect. Awesome. Well then guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Maggie B ATC. I am the OCR trainer on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, the works. We are Middle of the Pack Podcast. Again, you can find us on all of your favorite podcasting apps. And until next time, we will catch you on course.